Come on, church. Let's. That's pretty cool. All right. If you are a kid, I know you're just itching to get back there to go celebrate on your own, right? So stand up on your feet. And I'm just going to say a quick prayer over you, okay? Don't leave yet. Don't leave yet. All right, parents, if you're near your kids or some any kid, just stretch your hand out, put your hand on them. Let's just pray God's blessing over them as they go and have Kids 214. God, we thank you so much for the children and the soon-to-be children, the children that are not yet born. There's so many of them. God, we love you so much, and we just are thankful that we have this opportunity to raise our kids in a nation where we can freely come and worship, and we can show them what it means to come to church and be faithful to a God who created us. So God, right now, I pray that as these kids go out, that they would have so much fun, that they would learn, and they would be able to celebrate together. We love you so much. We love them so much. In Jesus' name, and all the kids said, amen. All right, go have fun. And parents, just a quick note for you. When you go pick up your kids, all of the kids will be in the toddler area. They have a big bouncy house, so they will all be in their plane. So when you go back there, just don't be freaked out that some of them aren't in their normal room. Get it? Good. We'll give them a second to get out. You guys look great today. Pretty cool to, thank you, pretty cool to celebrate together, isn't it? Yes. It's hard to believe it's been a year. Um, as we were looking over, going through the pictures, and I just, I can hardly believe it. I guess it makes sense because there's snow on the ground. So <laughs> there was snow on the ground when we started. Well, I think that I actually get the best job in here today um, because today I get to put God in the spotlight. That's what this whole message is going to be about, putting God in the spotlight. 1 Corinthians one thirty one says, if you want to boast boast only about the Lord. And today that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to boast in the Lord. We're going to give God all the props for what he's done for us as a church and as individuals. And we're celebrating. We're celebrating Church 214 being one year old. So I'm going to tell you two stories today. One story from ancient Bible times and another story that's still unfolding today. We're on week three of our series called God, which is all about the names of God, and we're taking a closer look at just a few of those. Mike opened us up um, two weeks ago with Elohim, God our creator, and my favorite quote from him was this, God designed or created us not to survive, but to thrive in this world that he has put us in. And then last week, David and Taylor just blew every expectation that I have ever had of them and gave a phenomenal message on Elroy, the God who sees. And I almost fell on the ground laughing when Taylor said, when you're feeling down and self-focused, sometimes you just have to put your stretchy pants on and jump kick Satan in the face. And I'm so going to use that a lot because that's so true. So today we're going to look at another name of God one of the names that is found in the Bible. The first story that I want to tell you today begins with a man and his wife who had wanted a child for many, many years. I know some people in here can relate to that feeling. And then in their older years, God had given them what they had asked for. He had given them a son, and they named him Isaac. I'm partial to that name. I have a brother and a soon-to-be brother-in-law named Isaac. One day, God wants to test this man's faith. 
So he tells this man, his name was Abraham, to take his only son, Isaac, on a journey. He says, when you get to this specific place called Moriah, you need to offer your son, Isaac, as a burnt offering, as a sacrifice to the Lord. Now, before Jesus came to earth and died on the cross and became the atonement for our sins, this is what they had to do. They had to offer sacrifices to atone for their sins. So this is what God was asking Abraham to do. Normally, they would use a sheep. He was asking him to use his only son as the sacrifice. What kind of a horrible dream this must have been for Abraham. Sacrifice? Kill his only son on an altar for, to, for God? What kind of a God would ask him to do that? But it's in Abraham's response to God that we see his faith take center stage. See, Abraham had obeyed God many times before, but this time it was different. He was being asked to sacrifice the thing he loved the most, his only son. Parents, can you even imagine that? Can you even imagine God asking you to sacrifice your son or your daughter? This request from God was astounding, and it didn't make a lot of sense, even to Abraham. See, Isaac was the son of a promise. God had promised several times, and Scripture shows us several times throughout that, that through Abraham's own offspring, through his body, through his son Isaac, would come a nation as many as the stars in the sky. You can see the verse up on the screen behind me, Genesis 15, 4 through 5. So God, was God not going to keep his promise to Abraham? Abraham's response, though, to this ludicrous request was immediate obedience. He'd seen God be faithful and keep his word to him time and time again. So he didn't let a command he didn't understand keep him from obeying. Just because you don't fully understand something God is asking you to do doesn't mean you shouldn't immediately obey. Abraham's trust and faith in God was so steadfast and so unwavering that he believed that even if God allowed him to go through with sacrificing of his only son, that God could raise him from the dead. Hebrews eleven seventeen says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. That is how fully he trusted God. Because of this faith, Abraham was able to obey God completely and immediately. Our God is the God of the impossible. He created our world from nothing but the sound of his voice. Maybe there's something in your life that you need to just take a bit of Abraham's faith. And you need to say, God, this thing, person, dream, hope was taken from me. My dream is dead. That relationship has been destroyed. My hope is lost. I can't face this any longer. But I know that you are a God who brings things to life. You redeem. You restore. You heal. You bring dead things to life. 
And today, you need to take a bit of that faith, and you need to tell whatever it is that is dead that God can bring it back to life. And your faith will be increased in that moment as you trust and obey God. So Abraham and Isaac, they continue on this journey. They have all their servants with them. They have all of their supplies with them. As they get to the base of this mountain, Abraham tells his servants. And I think it's really interesting because God gave Abraham very specific instructions. He told him exactly where to go and what to do. And Abraham didn't question God. Well, don't you think that this mountain range would be a better one, God? No, he went exactly where God had told him to go. So Abraham looks at his servants and he says, wait here. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. And he and Isaac go up on the mountain. Did you hear that? He did not doubt God. He said, we will be right back. Imagine if you can, as a dad, the conversation that happened as they walk up that mountain path. We have an eight-year-old son, and he asks us a million questions about every single event that happens in our family. Where are we going? How long are we going to be there? Who's coming? How long is it going to take us to get there? Dad, why did you take this road instead of that road? On and on and on and on until he knows all of the details that we're willing to give him. Isaac was no different. He had done this with his dad before. He knew what was needed to make a sacrifice. He sees that they have fire. He sees that they have wood. And he turns and he asks his dad, hey, dad, I see wood and I see fire, but where's the sheep for the offering? And then I just think that this is brilliant and amazing. Abraham turns to his son and he spreads some of his faith onto his son. Because isn't that as parents what we're called to do? Spread a little bit of our faith onto our children to increase their faith so they can see the God that we serve, the God that we love. And he says, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. As they arrive at that place called Moriah where God had told him to go, Abraham and Isaac prepare the altar. They put the wood on the altar, and then Isaac takes his son. Abraham takes his son Isaac. He ties him up, and he places him on the altar. His only son lays him on the altar, ready to obey God and sacrifice his son. As he raises his knife to kill his son, a voice from heaven, the angel of the Lord, says, Abraham, stop. Don't hurt him. Don't do it. Now I know that you truly trust God because you were willing to give up your only son for him. I can imagine the relief, the joy, the tears that must have come over Abraham as the realization that God did, in fact, once again, keep his promise to him, floods over him. He looks up, and he sees a ram caught by its horns in a thicket nearby. He takes his son off of the altar, and together they make a sacrifice to God with the ram. Genesis twenty-two fourteen says, Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. You'll see on the screen our name for the day, our name of God is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. The corresponding word for the Hebrew word Yahweh is Jehovah. It means Lord. 
Yaira, Yaira is translated into Jaira, which is a Hebrew word that means to see or foresee. Because he foresees, he provides. Now, if you remember last week, we learned about Elroy, the God who, what, sees. Well, this week we have Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides or the Lord who foresees. He foresees. God foresees what we will need before we even need it. He is all-knowing, ever-present. He is the beginning and the end. He is omniscient. He knows all things. This is why we can fully trust him, even in the almost impossible situations. Because he doesn't just provide. He doesn't just see. He foresees. He already knows how he's going to rescue you. He already knows what your needs for tomorrow are. He already knows his plan to heal your broken heart. He already knows how you're going to be able to pay that pile of bills. He already knows how he's going to heal you because he is a God who foresees our needs. And because of that, he provides. And I want you to notice this. Abraham didn't say the Lord did provide, as in something that was past. He says the Lord will provide. That's right. In anticipation of future and ongoing needs, the Lord will provide for you. Church, we serve that same God that Abraham served. He foresees your needs. He will provide for you. This story was a foretelling of God offering up his only son, Jesus, as a sacrifice for you and for me. And God put that plan in motion a long time ago to provide a way out for us under our burden of sin. But he is daily fulfilling this promise to us to provide for our very basic and very specific needs. Philippians 4.19 says, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches. Just like he did for Abraham. God has you on a journey. He's got a journey for you. He's got a journey for me. And he's got it all mapped out. He will tell us where to go. He will foresee what we need before we need it. And when we have the faith to obey, listen, that is the key phrase. When we have the faith to trust and obey the God who knows everything, we will see him do mighty acts all around us and for us. Do you believe that, church? God is so faithful. He is so faithful. And the Bible says it takes enough faith, not a mountain of faith. He says it takes faith of a mustard seed. Have you ever seen a mustard seed? It's tiny, itty-bitty. That's all you need. A tiny bit of faith. And the Bible says you can tell that mountain to go throw itself into the sea. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to even have read this Bible from front to back. All you need is faith that God can do what he said he will do. Now for our second story. Just over a year ago, and I'm going to try not to cry through this one, okay? So 
If I do, oh well. <laughs> Just over a year ago, in October of 2014, a group of friends were individually beginning to sense that the season they were in was coming to a close. What had once been a wide open door was now definitively closed. Many of us had loved and served and helped build the church that we were in for many years, but God was calling us to move on. He had a new journey for us, one that we weren't even aware of yet. Anytime you leave one season and enter the next, there's sadness and there's a sense of, now what? I'm sure some of you can relate to that. And this season was no different. I clearly remember sitting around a dinner table with some friends and saying, where do we even begin looking for a church? Where do we even start? It seemed like an impossible task. I can remember feeling this almost crushing weight of, what do we do now? We had shared with some other very dear friends of ours, David and Taylor Little, that we were moving on. And I will never forget where they were sitting in our house when we told them that. And they said, so are you going to start a church? And we laughed and we said, no way. Out of the question. It wasn't even a consideration in our minds. It wasn't on the table. We truly thought we would do what most normal people do and go start visiting local churches. Turns out we aren't normal. And God had different plans. Just one day later, after we told Dave and Taylor, nah, no way, not happening. One day later, on Friday, October 17th, a phone call between Paul Kravenhoft and Chris Taves took place. And during this call, the question was asked, what if God is calling us to start a church? What if this was his plan for us in the midst of all of this? What if this is the journey he's called us to? So that evening, many of us sat in a living room together, and we had what can only be described as a Holy Spirit moment. It's the only word for it. We said, is this really what he wants us to do? Could, could we actually do it? And more importantly, are we willing to do it? And then as we sat in silence and the presence of God just filled this moment, we all knew without really even saying a word that it's what he was calling us to do. So the next morning, Chris and I um, stood in Kip and Heidi's living room. They hadn't been a part of that particular God moment. We were going to share with them what had happened the night before. We all left the first, that first evening just like, whoa, okay, now what? Remember that? Now what? So we went over to Kip and Heidi's, and Kip was gone. I think he was hunting and doing manly stuff. And I remember Chris saying to Heidi, you're going to want to sit down for what I'm about to tell you. Um, I'm pretty sure God told us to start a church. And Heidi's response was, I knew it. God told me that two nights ago. She goes, I thought it was crazy for even thinking it. I didn't even want to tell anyone because I thought it was such a crazy idea. In the middle of the night, just two nights before that, God had told Heidi that that's what we were supposed to do. She blamed it on baby brain because she was still up in the middle of the night with Wilder. <laughs> 
sometimes God speaks through baby brain. Over the next two weeks, I'm telling you this timeline because it plays into God's providing and God's foreseeing what we would need. Over the next two weeks, many of us were spread out all over the place. Some of us were even out of the country. And we all agreed to take time to pray and to hear from God. When we came back together, it was almost unbelievable because God had spoken the same words, the same phrases, the same thoughts, the same ideas to all of us. We were hearing the exact same things. As we began to share and dream, the pieces start falling into place unlike anything I've ever seen before. It was like a beautiful puzzle where all the pieces fit perfectly. On October 30th, we held our first official team meeting. At that meeting, Chris shared with us the story in Acts 2, which many of you have heard us reference before. In Acts 2, the apostles are all gathered together in this room waiting. Jesus has been on earth with them, and he's gone back up to heaven. And he said, I'm going to send you a helper. It's better for you that I go and this helper come. And so they're sitting there waiting, like, when is this going to happen? And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes into the room and floods over them, and they begin speaking in all sorts of different languages and tongues, some that they did not know before. It created such a loud commotion in the city outside that people started coming from everywhere to see what was going on. They started coming to see what was happening. They began accusing the apostles of being crazy or drunk. Sometimes what God calls you to do, other people will think is crazy. They might even think that you're drunk. Acts 2.14 says, Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles. After that, Peter preached the news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. Many of these people had heard of Jesus. They had heard that he was crucified. They'd heard a rumor that he had been raised from the dead. I'm sure they didn't know what to believe. And here is Peter with 11 apostles preaching and telling them that this is true. And the Holy Spirit has come to help them. You can just imagine the feeling in that crowd as the Holy Spirit begins to work inside of all of these people's hearts. And 3,000 people were added to their numbers that day. And it says, more followed each day. It was the beginning of the local church. It was the beginning of the church. So Chris challenged all of us as a team that this is what we were doing. We were stepping forward together in obedience on a journey that God had put in front of us. One that we did not fully understand, not even in the least, We did not know any of the details, but we knew we had to obey. What followed was a whirlwind. As I was typing this all up and looking at dates, I just was, how did this all happen? God put together our leadership team in a matter of days. On November 3rd, our leadership team met again. We talked about church vision We talked about the vision for our teaching team model. We assigned board members. We assigned directors. We chose the name Church 214 based on Acts 214 and what we felt like we had been called to do, step forward together. On November 16th, we had a video chat conference call with Holly Bennett and Isaac Schaefer. Both of them were away at school, at college, and our goal through this was to offer Holly the executive director staff position at the church. We knew that our distinctly different model of leading a church 
um, would need someone to help run the daily tasks of leading this church. Holly was one month away from graduating college with a degree in youth ministry and communications. This story is so cool, so listen carefully, okay? If you weren't listening before, listen now. We offered her the job as executive director, and we said, Holly, you will be in charge of all of the communications for the church and help oversee the kids' ministries. At this point in the conversation, she just starts laughing. She told us that for four years at school, she had given tours to prospective students and their parents. People would always ask her, Holly, what's your major? And she would say, youth ministry and communications, to which they would say, isn't that kind of an odd combination? What are you going to do with that? To which she would reply, she said, hundreds of times, at the right time, God will open the door I need to walk through to use my degree. And here we were, one month away from her graduating, asking to hire her to oversee communications and youth ministry inside a church. Only Jehovah Jireh, a God who provides, the God who foresees, could have orchestrated such a plan so precisely. And she said yes. On November 20th, one year ago this week, we held an open vision night at the Franciscan Center in Peoria. We didn't know if anyone would come, but we had all agreed that even if it was just us, we knew we had obeyed, and that was enough. 31 people showed up. We shared the vision that we had up to this point with those 31 people, and we asked them to pray. That very same night, we had people texting and emailing and calling us saying, we're in this with you. This is where we're called to be. And then they start asking, when are we going to meet? <laughs> oh, <laughs> we have to meet? Where are we going to meet? We have way too many people for a house. We considered it for a moment and realized that wouldn't work. But once again, God, our provider, already had a plan in place. One of our leadership team members, Blake Bennett, works for Camp of Champions, and she shared our need with her director. Immediately, he offered free of charge their facility in Pekin for us to use for services. Camp of Champions in Pekin. So on December 7th, we held our first service. We picked up some chairs from my grandpa, just in case anyone showed up and we would need a few extra chairs, 76 people showed up. On December 21st, we held a Christmas service. On January 4th, 2015, we began having weekly church services. This could only have been through God's provision. Most new churches take many months, sometimes even years, to plan and prepare and raise money before they ever meet together as a body of believers. God had different plans for us, though. He was asking us to trust him, to listen to him as he gave us direction, and to be willing servants and watch him work. 
immediately God began providing not just vision, but he began providing for every single one of the church's financial needs. He provided people with a passion for leading worship, for running sound, for leading kids, for teaching God's word. Nothing was overlooked by him. And he's continuing to do that as he adds people to our church, bringing in the right people that need to be here to make this church happen. We had heard God say that we needed to teach people about healing, that he was a God who heals and offer times for people to come pray and be healed. We have seen many healed. We've seen people healed of physical ailments. We've seen marriages healed. We've seen relationships be restored. God has healed many. But most importantly, people have begun to realize that they have the power of prayer, that they can pray for healing, that they can pray for their needs, and that God will hear them. We met at Camp of Champions until May 1st. What a dear place that was to us. It's where we started. But it was time to move on. They needed the space for their summer camps, and we had simply outgrown it. We began looking for places to meet. We called every single venue you could possibly think of. Nothing was available. Every single door was closed or way too expensive. <laughs> we looked at several ch churches that for s were for sale. One was falling off the side of a cliff. We decided to save your lives and not go with that one. I shudder when I think about that one. We even placed an offer on one. No go. We met at two different locations downtown over the summer, the Riverfront Museum and the Gateway Building. And each time, at the last minute, when we didn't think we had a place, God provided a place. Not one Sunday did we go without a place to worship together. Not once. Then one day in early summer, Holly placed a call to Limelight Eventplex. A man named Bill answered the phone. Holly explained that we were a church looking for a place to rent on Sunday mornings. And his exact words to her were, we have been waiting for your call. Want to know why? Because we have a God who foresees our needs. He had already planned and prepared ahead of time. They knew it was a great place for a church to meet. No one else booked on Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. We were just the first church to call. I remember touring this facility, coming in for the first time, and my heart sunk. There was no way we could afford this. We asked for a price. Can you please tell us how much you'll charge us? We knew what the normal rental fee was here. It was way out of our budget. Several of us began to pray a specific number. Individually, we were praying, and we didn't even know that others were praying this very specific number. A few days later, Bill called, and he gave us that exact number. From day one in this place, God has been in the details. They allow us to store our equipment here free of charge. He provided a great place for Kids 214, an amazing sound stage for our band, and tons of room to grow. Why? Because God already knows what we need in the future. Because he foresees what our needs are, and he has already provided for it. The Limelight event staff has been incredible, and we are so honored to work with them. This is just a tiny glimpse 
of the ways that God has led and provided for this church in the first year. If I told you all the stories, we would be here all day. I'm not even kidding. They're so numerous. But the bottom line is this. God gave us this command to start this church. We obeyed in faith, and he's provided every single step of the way. We cannot wait to see what year two holds, and Jehovah Jireh, our God, will provide. Isn't that awesome? So awesome. So that's a little bit of our collective story. Um, That's giving God props for what he's done for this church. But I just believe that we as a church body, we are made up of individuals. And he has provided for you in so many ways over this last year. 